Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello and welcome to the seventh episode of the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast. My name is Ben Pfeiffer, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host Max Carlin. Max, how's it going? I'm all right, Ben. How are you? I'm okay. Um, making it through these strange times. So, in order to lighten the mood, have some fun today, we decided to do a mailbag episode. So we asked for your questions on Twitter, and we have a collection of fifteen or so questions that we're going to run through and answer some of your questions. So. Are we good to get started? Yeah. Um, let's start with one from our friend Francis at Bin Thrifty. Um, how many draftable bigs would you peg as a shooter you wouldn't want to leave open? Before we go any further, the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast is sponsored by Simply Safe. With home security, there's two ways you can go about protecting your home. There's the traditional way, where you wait weeks for a technician to do a messy installation that costs a small fortune, or there's the other way, Simply Safe. Simply Safe is everything you need in a home security system. It's award-winning production, two-time winner of CNET Editor's Choice Awards. Um, all right, so just go with all right. So I went with five. Okay. My guys are Jalen Smith, Killian Tilly, Obi Toppin, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, and uh, Pokashevsky. Okay, I forgot Jalen Smith, but he would also be on my list. Um, so I've got Smith, Toppin, and Zeke Naji and Killian Tilly for like true combo big at the very least types and then i think if you want to include um guys who are maybe more forwardy which i think these two are i have robinson earl and pokashevsky and then for true bigs that i thought was borderline i have caleb wesson and onyeka okongwu yeah those two are borderline um I went with more sure bets. I didn't think about Najee. Najee's probably a good one. Yeah, I think Najee's going to be a pretty good shooter. Um, I think you probably won't want to be leaving him open. I think the guys that are like absolute mortal locks are Toppin and Tilly and Smith. Um, Although Smith, Smith kind of fits into the same like, is he truly, truly like a center big? Yeah. Um, but I if I think he, he counts as a big, and I definitely would not want to leave yeah, him. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so, yeah. And then I, I think Pokashevsky is kind of borderline for me. I'm not sure about his shooting just because the mechanics with his upper body are inconsistent, and the, the numbers are, like, weirdly not great. They, they never have been. So, I, I mean, he's someone who probably, like, has a lot of versatility, and, like, I think there's a good chance he gets there. But. Yeah, I mean, what I'll say for that is if Pokashevsky isn't a good enough shooter that you absolutely have to guard him, then he is not an NBA player anyway. Yeah, and I think that's the reason why I'm lower than I'm lower than consensus, and so is Max on Pokashevsky, even though, like I said, I think in the last episode I have moved up. I'm still not, like, top 10 good, like, quite a few people 
happen because mm-hmm. of that shooting it's uncertainties yeah i binged a bunch also and moved it up as well but i don't i don't really think that he's this super high upside guy that people see unless he's just a wild off the dribble shooter um which i don't really think is going to happen uh and i just have i have a lot of problems with his defense um from a technical standpoint that i think a lot of like draft twitter will commonly um not care as much about because there are more individual defensive um issues than team defense things but i have a lot of problems with that uh but in, if we spend, if we spend too much time on every question uh yeah. we won't get through these so should we move on to, yeah, to francis's other question yeah uh so, all right so francis second question is what is the weakest specific skill of the collective draft class so max what was your answer there yeah this was really easy for me this i said easy. off the dribble space creation um yeah pretty much the most important thing that you you need as a to, as a prospect that's you know like we've talked about be someone with actual initiator equity someone that can be a franchise changer you pretty much need that and this class doesn't really have it even like the guys that we like as as upside gambles don't really create space off the dribble like anthony edwards's appeal is that he can make tough shots he doesn't actually really create space for them um and like Lamelo, I think is a pretty limited space creator. We've talked in depth about how Killian Hayes can't create space. So even these guys that we like at the top of the draft cannot create space. Yeah, I mean, who who is the best space creator in this draft? Like, is it like Grant Riller? Um, like, yeah. So I was it, just thinking about Riller. that. It might be Riller. Yeah. And um, like Grant Riller is not a guy you want to draft in like the top five, and that's a. That's a good statement on this class at this point. Yeah, I mean, it, could, not... it could be like, yeah, it's probably Riller. I was thinking like down the board, like DJ Carton or. Yeah. <sighs> One of the guys that I'm going to talk about later. Like yeah, Davion me too. Mitchell. Oh, and... yeah. Yeah. yeah but the, I mean, it's, it's a, the class is incredibly no. light on, um, on off the dribble space. Yeah. I mean, players. just comparing to 21, like we talked about a couple of episodes. I mean, mm-hmm. guys like BJ Boston, Jalen Green, even Cade, yeah. like Kaminga, just loaded at the top with guys. Yeah. Like I mean, like, I, I have a lot of issues with Jalen Green, but like that dude can create space off the dribble. Yeah. Absolutely. And that, that, that that's just like the most important thing when you're looking for initiators. And like we said, that's the biggest weakness in this class, which is pretty massive weakness. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty easy answer there. Um, all right, next we've got from friend of the program, uh, guest of episode two, our first ever guest, Jackson Frank <laughs> at Jack Frank underscore JFF. Um, harder skill to improve for an initiator, ball handling, or decision making. Uh, ben, what do you have for this? This was a tough one, and I ended up going with decision making because I think if you're looking at initiator prospects, which is what this is asking for, there's probably like a base level of ball handling, which I mean, it's not always true because you have guys like Anthony Edwards who is deaf, who guys looked at an initiator, but um, are pretty dire ball handling prospects. But guys with guys who are supposed to be initiator prospects are going to take on difficult decision-making responsibilities early. And I think that just kind of lowers the ceiling for lowers the ability to improve that in the league, even though, I mean, this, this was tough because I think ball handling is also very difficult to improve, even though we have seen like some guys do it. Like we have seen it happen, but we've seen both. So Max, what did you go with? Yeah, I went with, it's really hard and depends what you mean. Um, I think learning something like a skip to the corner out of pick and roll is not that hard, but becoming like a manipulative LaMelo ball, Killian Hayes type passer is impossible. 
Like I, I don't think that that can really happen. And not that that is necessarily the, the bar that you have to hold guys to as an initiator. Like we've talked about with uh, Kyra Lewis and, and Anthony Edwards, that the bar is a lot lower for some guys and that they don't need to be LaMelo level genius passers. But I think getting to that level is impossible. However, if you're just talking about learning basic, basic reads, maybe not to be a true initiator, but to be a guy who is going to play with the ball in his hands a fair amount, um, I think that it might be handling just because I can't really think of anyone that uh, has actually improved their ball handling all that much. Even examples that people cite, um, I know like people point to it with Jalen Brown a lot this year. And like, I think he, his ball control has definitely gotten better, but he's still not like a sophisticated ball handler and really just like doesn't hold up in, in trafficked areas. Uh, so I'm pretty skeptical of, of ball handling improvement because I think a lot of it stems from from physical things like I, I mean wingspan and hand size a lot of things that you literally cannot improve um, but I think it depends on the degree of decision maker you're talking about yeah and I think that's like it's kind of like a cop-out non-answer but it really does depend on degrees because like like Max said it's just basically there's and that's that's why we value like these guys who are special decision makers so highly because that's not a thing you can teach really even though i think handling at least theoretically is something you can teach more than that but yeah i think max is definitely true like a, a baseline handler it's probably easier to get to a baseline acceptable level of decision making than a baseline acceptable level of handling but then again like both both probably have to be really high if you're going to be like a legitimate initiator on a good nba team so I think for like if you're talking about like championship level offensive engines, I'd say I'd still go with decision making, but like it's it's close and there's like there's levels of initiators. Like not every initiator is Luka Doncic. Um, for every Luka, you have a Zach Levine initiator. So, and it, it varies there. All right, All right. Shall, shall we move on to the fourth question? Yep. All right, our fourth question is by um, Dom underscore Tesoriero, I think. Uh, apologies if I butchered that. And his question is, in a vacuum, should future drafts impact what teams do now? Max, what was your answer? Um, my answer is to some degree. Uh, I think, to, for example, let's do concretely last year, should a team have passed on John Morant in the top three because this year was loaded with with like guard initiators? I think the answer to that is no, If you because if you think John Morant is a special prospect, you shouldn't. Um, change our approach because of that um that said i think that it should be considered even fairly early in the draft for someone like the Cavs. the Cavs have taken small guards each of the last two years neither of which is particularly special and now this year they're very they very well may be in a place where they come onto the board and the four or five best players available are all small guards and this is something that we we knew two years ago that this class was loaded with small guards and they took unspectacular ones for two years anyway. Um, so that's, a, that's a way that, um, that it should be accounted for. And the other way that I thought of was this year, for example, I would consider a late one early two promise to some of the less, um, highly regarded initiators this year, because next year's class is a little shallower. Uh, so someone like DJ Carton, Tyrell Terry, like that's a guy I try to entice to 
to leave college and enter his name into the draft with a late first promise uh, to avoid that guy becoming maybe a lottery pick next year. Um, so I think future drafts should should impact your planning, not to the degree that you're passing on a, a special talent, but uh, you, you should have a long view and know know what uh, you know things will cost you in the future and, and how that plays into your team building. Yeah, I I agree. I think the answer is yes, but it depends. I think the critical point is especially for the first point Max made about planning about future planning and the example of the Cavs is just because you've taken uh, prospects of one position and maybe if they've underwhelmed, don't marry yourself to those prospects because because there's because there's like a because there's a positional redundancy. So for example, I'll give like the Bulls with Kobe White, who's probably fine, but if if the Bulls have a chance to get LaMelo Ball or Killian Hayes, or they shouldn't marry themselves, to, they shouldn't avoid that chance. Like, so if the Bulls think that LaMelo or Killian is by far the best prospect on the board, they shouldn't go with um, a non one of those two or a, a non guard because they drafted Kobe White last year. So I think it works in the inverse. But yeah, like you said, planning is important. And like, just like awesome like maybe like if a team it's always risky to assume that you're going to be bad next year because you just can't know but there's some teams that will most likely know so especially like maybe like knowing the top of next year's class is loaded with creators could maybe afford to go with one that's not a creator um in preparation for next year but still that's risky and if you really think um a creator at the top of this year's draft is the best option then you shouldn't not take him um, because next year's draft is loaded with creators. And if he ends up not panning out, then don't not take a creator next year. Because That is a- so many negatives, Ben. I have so no many- idea what you're saying. Yeah, that was a very roundabout point, but I'm just saying don't be attached. Don't not take a prospect because you <laughs> took a prospect of the same position last year. That's what I'm trying to say. Qu- quadruple negative there. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that, I mean, there are, there are ways to to budget for it. Like, I think that, we've talked a lot about opting for safety in this class and that can make more sense. If you're a team that has like no long-term move piece, like if you're the Hornets and you come up and you can pick between like, I guess what we'd consider to be more of an upside shot on like an RJ Hampton, or you could take Onyeka Kongwu, who we think is just going to be like a very good big man for a long time. I think that it might be more justifiable to say, yeah, we're going to lock in on Kongwu. We think he's going to be a good player. And then we're confident we won't be good next year. We don't have a, a, like a long-term building piece. And next year is when we'll take our shot on a BJ Boston, Kate Cunningham, Jonathan Kuminga. Like, I think, I think there is definitely a case to be made for that. But yeah. you should never be you should never be passing on a prospect that you think is clearly better than another one because of yeah. I think future classics. Yeah, that's that's the point I was trying to make in a much more eloquent way, but <laughs> in a much more succinct way by Max. So <laughs> I think we're ready to move on to the next question. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. From uh, at mnef three seven one zero. To what extent is uh, likely NBA opportunity weighted in your draft evaluation? And the example he gives is James Wiseman. Um, for me, it isn't. Um. I think it's an important thing to consider just like when thinking about the draft, but in terms of how I how I rank prospects, I don't consider whether or not they're going to get a shot in the NBA. I mean, think, thinking about NBA opportunity is certain, certainly important because, I mean, a prospect that I like very much, um, I'm trying to think of a good example here. I don't know. Like, Tail and Horton Tucker. Sure. THT, yeah. Um, that's a good one. Is is just not going to get the same opportunity as like RJ Barrett 
um, or someone else drafted highly. They're just not going to. And even if a prospect is great and and I believe in them strongly, if they don't get a chance to play, if they don't get the leash to maybe correct their weaknesses on the court and develop, then they're never going to play. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of like my big board, it doesn't factor in, but it's important. I disagree with that. I do factor it in. Um, not a huge amount, but James Wiseman is a good example. He would probably be a bit lower for me if I weren't accounting for the fact that he's going to be a top five pick and will get opportunity after opportunity to succeed in the NBA. Uh, it was something that concerned me. I mentioned Taylor Norton Tucker because I put him in my in my notes to, for this question because it was it was a concern that popped up for me when I you know judging off the film thought he was a fringe lottery talent. Um, and I ended up with him in that spot, but I think I ended up dropping him at least a spot or two just because of concern over, over opportunity. I mean, there were some people who had bowl bowl extraordinarily high, uh, and probably didn't account enough for the fact that he might not get an opportunity. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's hard to predict. Uh, but with, you know, these cases like Wiseman, where you're really pretty certain that he's going to go as a top five guy and get the the tag that that comes with that that gets you opportunity after opportunity in the NBA I think you you should budget for it because it's a real thing it's it's it like it has genuine tangible impact it's part of of this player's projection um so yeah I would I absolutely account for it I don't weight it highly I think that that that's bad practice to to say okay the the NBA is high on this guy therefore I have to be high on him I think that creates a lot of really bad and dangerous group think that produces honestly a lot of the of the problems you see in mainstream draft evaluation but uh i think it's worth accounting for for sure all right um are we good to move on to the next question yep all right so this is from our friend pd at above the break three on twitter uh what is the biggest gap between best and second best at an individual skill in this draft max Okay, I have a bunch for this because I really like this question. Uh, I'll just I'll roll through all of them. Uh, <laughs> the first I have is Lamelo creativity as a passer. Um, I think second is probably Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, what do you think about that one? Um, I agree. I had that same one. I put Killy and Hayes. Well, I didn't necessarily have creativity as a passer. I just mm-hmm. had like passing and manipulation. Yeah, so I put I put specifically creativity okay. because. Like there are lots of guys who are manipulative and very good passers like Halliburton, like Killian Hayes, but no one invents passes in the way that LaMelo yeah. does. Um, so I thought this the very specific aspect of passing creativity yeah, is the thing that no one approaches LaMelo on. Yeah, n- nobody really does come close. And I think if we're sp- speaking specifically creativity, like probably Halliburton is second. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's anybody that really comes close. There's probably a tier yeah. of guys. So right. Max, what else do you have? Okay, I had Tyrese Maxey, Balance, um, some other guys that are good, Devin Dotson, Marcus Zagorowski. Um, it, it's hard, I think, to like properly delineate between Maxey's strength and balance, but I, I, I don't know. He's incredibly balanced as a finisher. His pull-ups are a thing of beauty from a balance perspective. He just is, is so well-proportioned. Uh, from a weight perspective. So I think he's really, really outlier good in that, in that area. Um, but I, I think that's probably less of a gap than Lomelo's passing creativity. Yeah. I think we'll, 
like at least on the, the, the ones I had, I think the gap between Lamelo and the next one was the biggest gap out of any of these different mm-hmm. skills, at least to me. Okay, I've got a couple more. Right. Go, um, yeah. I've got Oscar Chibwe positional movement. Um, I, I have Onyeka is really good at that too. And then Pogoshevsky has good movement capability, but his technical movement is really, really bad. Uh, so I didn't really know how to factor that in. I guess I'd probably just say Onyeka's second best positional mover. Um, and I think there's a definitely a gap between Oscar and him. But again, I, that Lamelo passing creativity gap is just enormous. All right. So yeah, I had one. Um, I put uh, like this is kind of I put uh, Grant Riller for guard finishing and rim pressure. Okay. For, uh, yeah. Guard finishing. I mean, if we're talking about in general fishing, finishing, um, someone like Obi Toppin has a case to be better mm-hmm. than him. But if we're talking guard finishing, I don't think anybody's really close to. to yeah. There. I mean, I... Maxi kind of gets there. Maxi's very good. Yeah. Maxie's but Riller. Yeah, real is on a different level than anybody there. Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, and then another one I went. Um, I, this is kind of an obvious one. I went um, Devin Vassell uh, with specifically antici- weak side anticipation and nailed defense. I could have just bottled this up in team defense, but I yeah, mean, I Killian Hayes is really good at nail defense. I think yeah. Tyler Bay is pretty anticipatory. Yeah, I think just um, in general the whole package. I think yeah, the whole like defensive instincts. Yeah. Yeah, I think there are other guys that are very good. It's hard to find a word for that, but like... Yeah, I, I, there are other guys that are very good. I think it's a big... It's probably a big gap, but not yeah. as big as, as the Lamelo passing yeah, creativity. Certainly not, as, certainly not as some of the gaps that we have found. Yeah. One more that I have that... I, this actually might be the second biggest gap. Um, Leandro Bolmaro ball handling. Uh, because who is the second best ball handler? I thought of maybe no? like Jared Butler or Lamelo. Yeah. I think yeah. he's way better than Lamelo because he's really good. Yeah, and while Lamelo has like Lamelo's highs as a ball handler are, are like higher even maybe than Bomaro's, but on like a play-to-play basis, he's just a guy who like over dribbles a lot and I think tends to not be that deceptive with his moves, not like that forceful. So he while he does break out these these like high-level flashes that are really really ridiculous, on a play-to-play basis, I don't think his ball handling yeah. is that wild, which is why I think some people are just lower on his ball handling in general. Whereas Bolmaro is just unbelievably controlled. Uh, his variation in dribble heights is ridiculous. His moves are ridiculous. He's highly deceptive. He's quick out of them. Um, I think he's like the best ball handler by a really large margin, which is pretty amazing for a guy who's six seven and like a wing stopper. Yeah. He's- um, Omar was really good. Yeah, he's really good. Um, so I think that's a really large gap. Again, probably yeah. not as much as Lamelo's passing creativity because Lamelo is like the most creative passer I've ever seen. But Bolmaro's ball handling, I think, is probably yeah. the best in the class by a good margin. Yeah. I had a couple more uh, fun little ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I had Nate Hinton long rebounds because yeah, yeah, he he's just great at does that um, all the time. I had Skylar Mays spin moves because. There are other guys that have very good spin moves. No, but, but his, I, I think at least like with the dribble, I like it's so controlled and so tight, mm-hmm. and like he whips, like he does it like with way more regularity than mm-hmm. most guys. Yeah, I'm trying to and think then, of who else has a sharp yeah. spin move. I'm trying to think of like like I, I can't think of any guys who I do think it. I've like, seen some as really as good ones from Ant. Obviously, with yeah. less with less consistency, but I think I've seen some really. Yeah, cool I ones. think the consistency and the control is with everybody. And then my last list is a shout out to our friend uh, Mike Gripenov, uh Miles McBride transition defense. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's just ridiculous. Really, really good. He's. I mean, Miles McBride's awesome, and like, spoiler, he, he's going to come up in some future yep, questions. Mine but, too. Yeah, he's going to come up in some future answers, but he's such a great, like, great all-around prospect. But the transition defense. I mean, there oh, was I, the one play against Texas Tech where. Yeah, I think I know the player talking about. Guys, I and broke up a lob. I mean, he he's kind of ridiculous at that. It's a very like random niche skill to be good at, but um, like yeah, he's undoubtedly the best there. Yeah, I need to look it up because I think I know the exact play you're talking about because it's the yeah. greatest. Yeah, exactly. It's this play against Texas Tech. Um, yeah, he just he defends the ball and then recovers to the lob and breaks it up. It's incredible. Uh, it's like the best transition defense I've ever seen. Um, yeah, that's that's a good call. I don't know who else is. Yeah, like, like notably good at transition defense. Yeah, I mean that's that's a random one, but I, all right, that's all I that's all I had. I don't have any more. I'm I'm sure we could like honestly do a whole podcast. Like, yeah, this, we could. Yeah, I love this question. This is an incredibly fun one. Mm-hmm. All right, next is a much easier question in our opinions, but yeah. this is a controversial take, I guess. Uh, from at Rat CWC, who is the better Bay, Sadiq or Tyler? And Tyler. Yeah, we both have Tyler yeah. by a pretty good margin. Yeah. Um. Tyler, incredible, incredible team defender. Very, very impressive vertical athlete. Um, Fairly projectable. The question mark. What was that? I, I think it's reasonably projectable. Yeah, I mean, it's not like too bad mechanically. He shoots well on free throws. Uh, he just yeah. doesn't really take them. He no. weirdly takes like a lot of movement threes. Um, he does, it's like yeah. bizarre that he's schemed all these movement it's threes. Like- it's like Tyler Bay and like Dylan Disu or like the list of random non-shooters that shoot a lot of movement threes. It, mm-hmm. It's funny, but like he, he's good at it. Like, like he's not great at them, but he the fact that he shoots them is encouraging to me. Yeah, but Tyler Bay, I think we would both have as one of the better defensive prospects in the entire class. Whereas Sadiq, uh, buy him as a spot-up shooter, buy him as a decision maker, attacking uh, secondarily. Do not buy him as an on-ball space creator. I don't really like his pull-up. Um, I oh, don't. I don't Love like the defense as much. Yeah, I don't like the defense at all. I think he's going to be a bad NBA defender because I don't like his movement. I don't think he's particularly intelligent. Um, he's got good recovery tools. He's big and long, um, and that has that worked as a perimeter defender in college. But I'm a lot more skeptical in the NBA. Uh, I think not to speak for both of us, but I, I do think we're pretty aligned on this that he is someone who seems like he will be a solid NBA player. Not not even a solid NBA player. An NBA player but really just not one who changes anything at all. Um, and it's just pretty meh. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think there's definitely some merit and some value to saying this guy is six foot eight and he's going to shoot pretty highly um, at a pretty high level. Like that's worth something, but not as much as a lot of people think, or at least value in terms of my evaluation, at least. And I'm pretty sure Maxis is similar. Mm, yeah. Just like Without those ancillary skills on both sides, it's... That's a bit more troubling evaluation wise. So yeah, both of us are pretty clearly in the Tyler Bay camp over Sadiq Bay camp. All right, ready for the next question? Yep, let's do it. So this is from at OGA Ugly. Where do you have Josh Christopher on your big board? And why is everyone so low on him, even though most scouts have him as top 10? Also, how much weight do you put into a player's ability to create their own shot into your evaluation of their play? All right. I think again we're going to be pretty similar on this one, but yeah, I've only done a lottery for 2021, and Christopher's not in it, not all that close really. Um, he has some wildly impressive handling and finishing moments, but he's really small and just like a next level bad decision maker. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he's like really strong, uh, has some impressive like two foot vertical moments. Uh, yeah. But yeah, more of like a mixtape guy than I think yeah. an actual winning player uh, will, will not be highly ranked for me. Uh, and then the second part of the question, I think it's something pro- we've probably made pretty clear throughout every episode of this show. Uh, a lot. Uh, shot creators are the most important thing out there. Um, they're what drive you know offense and basketball uh and they're they're the most cherished commodity uh but i do think it's also important to impact uh winning without the ball um especially if you're not a high level shot creator like if the only way you can generate off or the only way you can generate value is by being a shot creator and you're not really really good at it then that's a very big problem because if you're not really good at being a shot creator you're not going to have the ball and if you're not generating value otherwise, um, you know, that that's really problematic for a team, which is why I think you'll see us high on a guy like Xavier Tillman, who never needs the ball um, and is going to generate impact in every other way. Um, so I think it's very, very important at the high end. But when when that's the only thing you can do and you can't do it at a special level, it uh, like it falls off in value exponentially. Yeah, like Max said, I have a tentative top twenty of just the of just the the freshmen and O one, I think, or O two internationals. And Christopher's not on my t- not not there. Um, like 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 I said, he's a very legitimately good shot creator. I mean, he's strong, he's bursty, he can get up. He's a pretty good handling finisher. But he's being being small and not being able to shoot, or not not being able to shoot, but just not having like a crazy good shooting projection is really really stark at that that size and his threshold of decision making because like max said he's just an utterly bad decision maker but yeah christopher has a lot of limitations to overcome if he's actually going to be a high level shot creator because he's not a guy who's going to drive championship level offenses i think that's pretty clear but he's also not a guy who's going to add any value without usage he's a guy who very much needs the ball to to um add any sort of value and those kind of players just aren't very valuable i mean have to hit a very high threshold to be good at initiation, and he's just not there. And then he'll he'll need to develop some serious off-ball capabilities, and the decision-making is just so problematic, I'm not sure it ever gets there. So, yeah. Yeah, and, um, like, the the counter that people will raise to that sometimes is, like, well, he projects as, as a good sixth man then. But, I mean... In reality, those guys are so replaceable that I don't. I just have no interest in drafting a guy to be a sixth man. Like you can, yeah. If if a guy is not really exceptional, like if there's not a Marcus Smart, not a Fred Van Vliet, like the, you can get a replaceable version from you know signing them as a free agent over from overseas. You can get them signing them as an undrafted free agent. Like I, I just don't think that there's any reason to draft Josh Christopher highly if you can go and i mean miles powell is not a good example because he he's going to get drafted at some point uh which i wouldn't do but there are there are yeah there are comparable guys that you can just sign as undrafted free agents i mean you can always sign shane larkin um and like that i I mean i'm not not sure you actually can at this point maybe not at this point but you can you can always sign brad like Like, you can always sign a guy who's really good in europe often for the minimum shane larkin you couldn't sign for the minimum but you can always sign a guy in that vein um which is why i both of us tend to devalue the backup point guard six man types um i think that applies to christopher yep 
I think so. I, I, I think that kind of covers it. So well, did you want to do uh did you want to answer the creator part? Oh yeah. Whoops. I mean, my, yeah, but I don't have too much to add to Max's okay. question. I mean, pretty, as you, you know, we've seen throughout the show, very important at the high end, but as we, but as you taper off and you get to these lower level creators, it becomes less and less important because scalability and portability is really important mm-hmm. in the modern NBA. That's increasingly seeing more like very more teams run with one very very high level creator than multiple and just like you need scalable players to be able to function without usage and guys that like are not high level creators and can't function without usage aren't super valuable so not not much else okay next from at nuno soars i think i don't know we we a blanket apology for any mispronunciations. Um, how important slash impactful do you think it, uh, having a tool like Synergy is for overall player scouting? I think, speaking on Synergy specifically, because it's like the one everyone knows about as the big paid one. I mean, it certainly helps, but it's not necessary by any means. I mean, having having things like half court um, at the rim numbers and... Um, half part throw numbers and runner numbers and pull-up jumper numbers are important. And obviously the video thing is very, very important as you can. But like, I think, although though it, though it adds an advantage, it's certainly possible. I mean, there, there's always t- there are always free accessible tools. I mean, for every, if you don't have Synergy, um, Bartorvik is an awesome resource that provides similar function uh, for games. There's, there's YouTube. Uh, has some games. Watch ESPN has games. I mean, th- there, there, there are ways to find tape that sometimes it can be difficult but it's like if you don't have synergy it's not like you cannot scout you you, you cannot do it like so like yes like, like it certainly helps and like there's not like a certain number or like degree of how helpful it is because it certainly varies but like if you can like like if you like understand what when you're watching film and like, can, like i mean yeah you you don't need synergy you can contextualize enough with um bar torvik and basketball reference in the games you have so yeah, well, I think first of all, it's important to delineate between which synergy you mean. Do you, if you mean stats only, uh, it's closer to what Ben said. If you mean the full, the full um, synergy with with access to every game that's played um, and clips, then Everyone that the is a total game changer. Um, it like completely, completely changes the way that you can go about scouting. And like while we've hated it in the past on just watching synergy clips because it's a really bad way to scout. If you want to hear more about that, um, listen to episode five with Mitch Libanoff. Um, watching just clips without the context of a full game is really not good. However, if you're watching full games, having access to those clips, just one makes your life way easier because you don't have to constantly be timestamping and clipping things, uh, which is what we do. Um, but also just... Uh, allows you to, if you're curious, if you see something uh, that you think is weird or interesting on a runner attempt, you can then go and watch every single runner attempt that the guy has taken in the entire season. And you can do it for last season and the season before if he's, you know, a multi-year guy. Um, And that's really invaluable. Uh, So full video synergy is an unbelievably valuable tool. Uh, that obviously like obviously individuals can't buy but um 
yeah, I mean, it, it's worth a lot of money. Uh, yeah, it's it's a really valuable tool. Um, stats only synergy, I think, is pretty helpful. Looking at just the play types is not all that useful, but going into the subcategories can help a lot. Looking at stuff like runners, half court rim frequency, uh, half court rim percentage, because it's really, I think, very important to um, to make a distinction between half court finishing and transition finishing. And for yeah. some guys, those numbers change a ton. Uh, and I think it can be useful for looking at like tendencies in pick and roll and stuff like that. So synergy stats only, I would say is pretty helpful. I, I, I check it probably a couple times during, during any given game that I'm watching. Uh, but the full fully loaded synergy is a total game changer. Yeah. All right. So, I think that's pretty good. Shall we move on to the next question? Yeah, let's do it. All right, this is from at Precision, Precision Scout. Who, in your opinion, has the best chance to make a big freshman to sophomore leap, um, e.g. Culver, Halliburton, Ja, Vassal? And the examples he gives are James Buchnight, Miles McBride, Spencer Jones. So, Max, I'll let you start. I think at least a couple of those names we'll have on our lists. Yeah, so Spencer Jones I don't think is going to make a leap like that, although – I do I do like Spencer Jones a lot and think he'll he'll be pretty high on my board next year. Top 60 guy for me right now. But uh I don't know if we've talked about him before. His main problem is that he like does not move in the direction sure of the rim ever. Yeah, like he just doesn't he just doesn't move toward the rim ever. Uh but unbelievable shooter at at like 67. Um Book Knight I don't love by any means uh i because he emerged later in the season i watched a couple games recently and he just he didn't really pop in in any way to me mcbride is the one that comes to mind as being a really big time uh opportunity to pop like this i think we're both pretty high on him but he um yeah in a larger role his defense is pretty incredible uh, like Ben said, the transition defense is amazing. But I was just watching before we started recording uh, the one of the Kansas West Virginia games, and his his point of attack defense was unbelievable in the first half of that game. Uh, he's an off the ball defensive playmaker, and then on the ball, he's a pretty impressive space creator at times. Um, and I think that yeah, he could be someone that really skyrockets upwards. Uh, it, w- given the depth of of next year's class, you know who knows about being a lottery talent or something like that. But uh, I think he he could really skyrocket up boards. Um, yeah. the, another name is someone that we've talked about now, I think, on episode one and last week's episode, Nishan Highland uh, at VCU. Needs to bulk up for sure, but um, could could definitely, I think, see a lot of growth in a bigger role. Um, then I've got DJ Carton, Ohio State freshman point guard, who is in the transfer portal. Um don't know where he's going to be yet, but I, I mentioned he's a guy that I'd consider promising even in the late first this year. Could see him really, really moving up boards given the lack of initiators after the top guys next year. Um, really big fan of DJ Carton. Uh, then I've got uh, one more. I've got that. So I've got two guys that aren't really freshmen to sophomore because I've got Brandon Newman at Purdue was a guy that I really liked coming out of high school last year. Um, and ended up redshirting, but he was he was one of the best shooters in last year's uh, high school class, and has like some pretty pretty solid moments as a defensive playmaker. He's got some size, um, and I think has got adequate uh, athletic tools. So I'm very curious to see what he does. 
Uh, I, I thought it was a shame that he ended up redshirting. Uh, and then the other guy that I've got who is not a freshman, but I think has one of the biggest um, opportunity increases coming his way is Will Richardson at Oregon. Uh, he's a sophomore, uh, but Peyton Pritchard obviously is graduating and, and will be headed to some professional league, most likely the NBA. Um, but Richardson, I really, really like. Uh, he's got impressive craft and skill as a driver, despite not being specific, uh, particularly explosive and can be a really disruptive defender. Uh, and I think he's obviously slated for a really large increase in role next year at Oregon. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, all right. So I, I agree with, yeah, all those, like all those agreed with miles McBride interested to see where he's going to end up ranking on my board at least. Cause the top of the draft list is very saturated with creators, but like, he's like, you said, very good and defensively. So probably a first round guy or at least close. So the guy, the main guy I had that Max didn't talk about is Romeo Weems, DePaul. Oh, how could I forget um, Romeo Weems? Yeah, I'm disappointed in you. Um, well, well I'm, I'm, I have him for I have him for a later answer. Yeah, yeah, I have met, I have a couple guys that I'm kind of surprised that you forgot. Um, Romeo Weems is awesome guy who I had in the lotto top um in preseason, and then I still have him in the first round. Just this absolutely awesome defender crazy mover at like six foot six six foot seven incredibly incredibly smart team defender like gamp can gamble a little bit but just an awesome playmaker and then offensively the decision making i think honestly like is is better than it was pre-college yeah it got a lot better yeah because he was an on the ball creator in aau and was a was pretty bad. bad decision maker it's why i i was a little hesitant with some people were getting him really really high up um and i didn't didn't buy his creation chops but um, last year in, in or his, his final year of AAU, uh, he really he did turn into like a pretty pretty competent shooter after being a yep. bit of a non-shooter in FIBA. Um, but yeah, he definitely like he has enough creation ability to be functioning in a secondary role. And then he went to to um, to Paul and ended up being a 15 usage guy. I think it was pretty just surprising that he that he was that um, underutilized. Yeah, and Weems like. I think that's a reason the Weems good. Like Weems is very good in the low usage role as well. Like I thought, I think it was the FIBA like U seventeen or eighteen. I'm not sure what he played at. He was like m- arguably USA's best player in that tournament, despite playing pre low usage on offense. Like he was insanely good in that tournament. Yeah, he was really dominant defensively. Uh, yeah, I I don't I don't have a take on how, where he ranked among USA's player, but he was I, notably dominant yeah. defensively. Yeah, I don't have a definitive ranking. I can't, I can't even tell you everyone on that team off the top of my head, but. Like he was fantastic offensively. Like he can, he has like some real flashes of like space creation with his handle and getting to the rim and some pretty good passing ones too. So this is like a guy who like, especially with Paul Reed, likely going to the, likely thing in the draft. Likely. You know, oh yeah. Yeah. Paul Reed's, gone. yeah Paul, Reed's Paul Reed's gone. gone. He's going to have a more pronounced role. Romeo well, is going to be. Is, um, is, uh, Charlie Moore graduating as well? God, I hope so for Romeo Weems' sake. <laughs> No, I think he. No. Is yeah, well, Moore is definitely gonna hold him back. Or yeah, unfortunately. unfortunately. Yeah, Charlie Moore's a junior. Might as well. Problem might be like the worst time major like starting point guard in the country. He's not. He's not a good decision maker. No. Um. So yeah, Romeo Williams is awesome. Uh, another guy I had is David Johnson at Louisville. Who, yeah, like, I'm, I'm, I'm less not as huge on him. Yeah. that like i'd say i'm like fairly mid on him i know you're like quite low um there are some people that are really high um i acknowledge that, like the, that like i think even though the, um he's just like this six five point guard who's like a pretty good pa- quite a good passer even though he's very ambitious um 
his the shooting numbers aren't great, but like he's actually like shot really well on long twos this year, on like pull up twos this year, which is impressive. Defensively, he's quite good. I mean, just a guy who's going to get more of a leash at Louisville with Jordan Dewara gone next year. Um, another guy to look at, I think probably is going to take at least a, definitely a statistical leap, which is going to be important for his that on mainstream boards. Um, yeah. So David Johnson is another one. I had. Tyrell Terry, who's um, who I'm less sure of actually making a big leap because I'm not sure how much development he's going to do because he's already quite good. Like I feel like some of these guys are maybe guys that underperformed in their freshman year that we rated highly coming out, like like Weems or like Weems or some other guys. But yeah, like Terry was legitimately of like a good college player this year, so I'm not sure how much ceiling there is to improve for him. But definitely a guy who I think is going to move up boards next year, and then yeah. like. I didn't include Terry because I thought there was a chance that he was going to declare, and that's still unclear. Yeah, um, that's true. But yeah, that's why I didn't include Terry. Not not someone that I forgot. Just yeah. uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, he could, he could declare. I I probably would bet against it. But yeah, think, it's it seems like there's no he, way to know. There's no way to know. Yeah. Yeah. And then a couple like more like sleepery guys. I had two Miami guards who really popped in the season: um, Harlan Beverly and Isaiah Wong. Um, Harland was a guy that I was kind of big on coming out and then disappeared at the beginning of the year, but came on pretty strong towards the end of the year. This like six foot four skinny combo guard, which is kind of like the issue. He doesn't really have a position, but he's like, he's got such a weird collection of outlier skills. I mean, he's a crazy athlete. He's like, a, he's quite good passing the ball too. Like he, he's got live dribble skips and stuff with both hands. Um, he can. He, his finishing is improved defensively. He's pretty smart. I think like if we're talking about other, like, more outlier skills, like he's outlier good, like poking the ball away from ball handlers at the point of attack. His hands are crazy good. And Isaiah Wong, I'm less high on as like a legit prospect, but uh, like a quite a good score at the end of the year and should like should definitely get on mainstream radars because of his scoring. Even if he's definitely not as good as Harlan, those are two like lesser prospects. Who are like not who are definitely not on the level of the other guys we talked about, but guys who should creep towards radars next year. And yeah, those are the guys that I got. Yeah, I liked Harlan coming into the year. I think I watched one Miami game early in the year and have not watched them since. So don't really have a take on those guys. But I liked Har- Harlan at uh, Montverde. Yeah. All right. All next right. question we've got uh, from just a normal. Hume one. Uh, how is Lamelo's upside higher than Killian Hayes? Once again, the Prep the Pro NBA Draft Podcast is sponsored by Simply Safe. Go to simplysafe.com/team today, and you'll get a free shipping and a sixty-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now and be sure you go to simplysafe.com/team. That's simplysafe.com/team. All right, so I'll go with this as the guy who has Lamelo number one. I think. Lamelo with his ball hand, like what we're talking about, his passing is the creativity is probably the biggest gap to him. Else, he's just like a savant level passer, and his ball handling is quite is better than Hayes too. Like you said, I think a lot of it stems from his physical deficiencies, where his ball ball handling deficiencies are, because he's just like so weak and gets bumped off the spots really easily and can't maneuver into the spots physically. But like handling control and manip- and deceptiveness and stringing together moves, I mean, he's fantastic there. I think. Those two things. I think he just got a higher up, higher, um, a higher upside as like a potential initiator prospect, which is important. But that's not to say it's like so far apart, because like I mean they're like one spot apart on my board. They're both fantastically good prospects, so it's not like 
I don't think it's a, as huge of a gap as maybe like the mainstream will probably think. We'll definitely think that between Lamelo and Hayes upside. Uh, I, I would definitely give it to Lamelo, but like Hayes is quite good, especially that he's put together some of the flashes of pull-up shooting into like actuality and his athleticism in terms of change of direction has improved. So yeah, I mean Lamelo's just with his with his ball handling and passing, but it's it's not crazy far apart. Yeah, I think that the passing creativity and just like ambitiousness as a decision maker. Uh, is definitely part of it. But I think there's real hope for LaMelo to be an off-the-dribble space creator because the gap in handle is really enormous. Like, Killian Hayes' handle is really not good. Like, it's it's not controlled or deceptive. Like, he doesn't have shake. He doesn't even flash the moves that LaMelo does. Uh, and LaMelo flashes at such a high level. Like, he flashes as a really, really special ball handler. And then just, I mean, you kind of you got at this a bit with the pull-up shooting, but LaMelo is a much more ambitious pull-up shooter Um and while they both have mechanical flaws, like Lamelo attempts really deep attempts, he attempts them with a quicker trigger. Um, he just, I think, is a different level in terms of if he can get to a point where it's sound enough mechanically to go in at a good enough per- percentage, he's going to take much more threatening shots than Killian Hayes, yeah. uh, and has the ability, I think, to create space for those shots in a much more legitimate way than Hayes. Yeah, so I think. That, that kind of sums it up, just the individual creation and and then the passing is what sets them apart there. Oh, and I think there's also, while Killian Hayes is way, way, way farther along as a defender right now, um, there's, I think, room for Lamelo to close the gap as a team defender because of how brilliant he is. Um, the, there is a chance that he becomes a pretty high-value team defender as, as a playmaker, uh, I don't really buy that as much, but that I do think that's something to factor yeah. in that he could close that gap a bit. And especially if Melo fills out physically. I mean, he's starting kind of a very low baseline, but I think he has like a frame conducive to filling out. I'm no expert there, but uh, yeah, I would think uh, agreed defensively, probably never going to be as good as Hayes, but definitely can be close. Right, so we're good to go head to the next question. This is from our friend Jake at Jake in the Paint. What are the main ancillary skills you look for when evaluating a potential three and D prospect? Yeah, so we've talked about on this episode already. The handling is very important. Uh, obviously, you don't need to be an advanced ball handler, but you do need to be controlled and able to attack a closeout. Uh, and then, of course, the thing that we all, always talk about: decision making. Um, even even as a guy who's not. Um, who's not, you know, orchestrating actions, uh, when you are attacking an advantage situation, I want a guy who, you know, is not going to opt for the difficult runner. He's going to skip it to the corner or whatever, which is why, which is like, I think an appealing point for someone like Sadiq Bey, where he had success as, as a decision maker, as really a guy who was creating a lot in college. But when that scales down to, to a, an ancillary role, um, that I think that decision-making will sustain in a way that will be, uh, very positive for his role. Yeah, I think having those ancillary skills is super important because, like as you said plenty of times, uh, being a three and D player is way more than just shooting threes and playing defense. Because, uh, I mean, at least at this point, you have to be able to do more than space the floor um, at a high level. And I guess like that's why like I'd have a guy like Josh Green higher than someone like Aaron Neesmith on my board, even if it's marginally. Because even though Neesmith is clearly the better shooting prospect, um, Green like while I'm I'm on the higher level of buying a shot. If, if you don't buy a shot, that's, that, that's kind of a different um, point. But if you do buy a shot, he's clearly better 
in terms of ancillary skills, at least in my opinion. So that's just a random example to make the point that ancillary skills are very important. Uh, decision, being able to make a decision, attacking a closeout and making the best of advantages that others create for you is really important. So that decision making, not like this stellar, you don't need to be an, like a primary level handler. You just have to be able to be competent there. Mm. Obviously, like any other special skills add to it, but ha- mm-hmm. like base base level handling and decision making are the two most important ones. All right. Next question is uh, back to the the prep routes uh, from at xmzdcr. Uh, Adrian Griffin Jr., also known as AJ Griffin. How high is his ceiling? Um, I haven't seen a ton of AJ Griffin. Adrian Griffin. I haven't seen a lot of him, but I think the answer is quite high. Um, yeah, just I've seen a lot at this point of AJ Griffin, yeah. and I so, think it's wildly high. Yeah. Um, so I'll as a quickly, so yeah, as a 15, 16 year old wing with a legitimate NBA body, like six seven and built, this guy could be an all time great shooter. Uh, he has beautiful mechanics, and the numbers are insane like there's some there are numbers that you don't see for guys that young even for like ridiculous small guard shooters um his his shooting numbers are just insane and then to go along with that he is a really advanced ball handler like he makes dribble moves that nba wings do not make that very few guys that size in the entire world are capable of making and on top of that will make eye-popping passes that reflect like pretty high level reads um like decision making comes and goes his engagement i think comes and goes but uh, he has everything you could want from a prospect like at the moment i think wildly underrated because he's not regarded among the very very best guys in in high school uh by a lot of sources but i think he very clearly is like i think he's better than someone that we, we talked about last week he's better than paulo he's better than uh, I think he's better than Kuminga. I think he, he's he's probably not a better prospect than Cade, but I could see it like he could he I think could be in that conversation certainly with like Cade, Amoni Bates, like as the true like very very best guy uh, guys across every high school class. Like AJ Griffin does some things that are absolutely nuts um, from a wing that age or really a wing prospect at any age. Uh, and I'm really excited to see how he develops because he could be a pretty special prospect. Yeah, it's just like I think ESPN has him maybe like tenth, which is madness. I mean, yeah, I mean he's he's yeah. nuts. Like he he yeah. is insane. Like uh, I would recommend uh, searching. Definitely my my account. I've posted a lot of AJ Griffin clips. Uh, our friend Ross Homan has posted a lot of AJ Griffin clips. Yeah. He, he actually on Griffin too. Yeah, yeah Ross has been huge on Griffin. Um, wrote a piece on the Stepian that I would recommend checking out. Uh, Griffin is a ridiculously good prospect with a with an intimidatingly high ceiling. Yeah, he's awesome. Going to be really fun when he comes around. He is committed to Duke, by the way, already. So really, oh, I didn't even yeah, know that. Yeah, he's committed. Yeah, to Duke. and he's high school class of 2021, which yep. is the expected to be the last the one and done, last one a year. All right, so I don't have much else to add on Griffin. He's awesome. Go watch him if you want to break from the 2020 class. Super fun. Yeah, he has a fair right. amount of games on uh, on yeah. YouTube. Also, Archbishop yep. Stepanak. Yeah, uh, where he plays with him. um with R.J. Davis, a small scoring guard who's going to North Carolina next year. Um, he's also good. 
Yeah, and if you can find uh, any places, right, next we've got a OBL. So. Okay, yeah, yeah, right, that's right. Um, next right. we've got from JNA1, uh, how do you handle attributes that are outlier good but unclear in value, like um, something that Ben mentioned earlier, Nate Hinton's tracking of long rebounds. Uh, he also mentions Eric Stevenson's release speed on his jumper, where it's clearly a plus trait, but because they're the only ones different from normal, it's not clear what it's worth. Um, I think it's important to just value them holistically with the entire package. Like, I'm not going to move up Nate Hinton, like, X amount of spots because he's great at long rebounding. But, like, that's a consideration I'll look at when I'm looking at the entire package of Nate Hinton. Or, like we said, like, someone like Miles McBride's transition defense. Like, I'm not necessarily going to move him up spots because of his transition defense, but it's a consi- but it's something to consider. I think with these kind of skills that I would say, like, aren't, the traditional like outlier skills you look for, like not outlier pull-up shooting or ball handling or like passing manipulation or rim protection that I just, it's hard. This is an interesting question because they're just not something that I think is are worth like a ton of emphasis, but obviously like it's case by case and it, it, it matters differently for different prospects, which is kind of a non-answer, but well, I'm not really sure where else to go with this. That was the same non-answer I put in my notes. Um, like for the Hinton example specifically, uh, I'd say that like taken holistically, it could allow Nate Hinton to say play up uh, to play. Like he basically is like a guard sized four, but with skills like his tracking of long rebounds, like maybe there is some more legitimacy to the idea that yeah. he could actually play minutes at the four, despite being like six, four, six, five. Um, so I think that you know how it plays into your overall skill set's important. Like I don't know, I didn't watch prospect James Harden, but like the James Harden double step back is a bizarre skill that if you just saw it like and you didn't know anything about James Harden, you might not think it's that valuable, but then taken in the context of James Harden's game, like it's totally transformed who he is and how potent of a scorer he is. Um so I think that weird skills are important. It's just like like you said, because Miles McBride is like one of the greatest transition defensive players that that we've seen, like that doesn't mean that Miles McBride is a top ten pick. Um, now, yeah. if that factors into to the overall evaluation in some way, you account for it. Like I think it, I think it does a bit for Hinton, um, but it's there's no reason to force it because a guy is unique. Like sometimes uniqueness is a pathway to um, underappreciated upside. But there's no inherent value to uniqueness. Yeah. All right. I think that's the same answer. So second to last question here we have um, from at underscore James Kohout underscore. Um, and we've kind of touched on this a couple times this episode. Who are some guys you that you don't think will get drafted slash declare, but if you were a GM, you'd give a late second round promise to, and we're amending that to late first or early second as well. So I'm sure we've talked quite a, about quite a few of these guys. So Max, what are you thinking? Yeah, so I I think we should amend it entirely to late first, early second, because like late second promises aren't really a thing. Um, yeah, I guess I, I'll mention one one guy with late second uh, at the end, but yeah, guys that we've mentioned already, DJ Carton and Romeo Weems, I would promise them late first, get them to come out. I would add Tyrell Terry to that group, uh, and then one that we haven't mentioned that we've talked about on previous episodes is Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Um, yep doesn't have buzz in the mainstream but like a top 20 guy i think for me uh just love love him as a a linking player a really smart decision maker a guy who keeps the ball moving and i as we mentioned in in the the leaving bigs open to shoot i really really buy him as a shooter um 
so yeah, Robinson Earl is someone I'd promise definitely late first, early second again would come out. Uh, and then if in this hypothetical, a guy is actually willing to come out for a late second round promise, I'll throw um, Tennessee forward Eve Pond out there. Uh, just total athletic freak with a ridiculous frame. Um, like basically a four or five in terms of, of skill, but he's so freakish as a vertical leaper, so freakish as a mover. Um, and with his just like, you got to look up pictures of Eve Pond. If you don't know who he is, it's absurd. Um, very, very much from the Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield mold, uh, of just enormous human being. Uh, and yeah, he's someone that, that I like a lot. I mentioned this on Twitter as like a value alternative to precious Achua. If precious is going in the lottery, like Eve Pond as a late second rounder in this scenario is incredible value because I think they're like, like fairly comparable as prospects. Um, and you know, Pond is going to cost you way, way less. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, one, a late first I had was Keontae Johnson, who I've talked about before on this podcast. Um, I like him as like a top 20 guy, just this incredible athlete on the wing, vertically burst wise strength has improved his, his ball handling and passing and shooting skill as the seasons have gone on. Um, just a really strong versatile wing prospect. We've talked more about, um, another guy who, I've talking about. I'm not sure if this is worth the first time I promise, but um, Anton Watson for Gonzaga. Um, he's really good. Didn't really get a chance to play this year. Had injury problems. Um, just a super smart, like six foot seven, six eight wing forward type. Great, really can pass. Really smart defender. A guy who also like with a pretty loaded Gonzaga team. I'm not sure how much he plays next year. I mean, he's gonna play more than he played this year with. Um, Tilly and likely Kispert being gone and Petrusev maybe too, but yeah, and he was injured all year. Yeah, also, yeah, yeah, he had injury. Yeah, I mentioned that he had injury. Every, every time he came back, he would get hurt again. Yeah, hopefully he's not going to be Tilly 2.0 with that. Um, because Watson's awesome. So I hoping hoping he can stay healthy. Uh, another guy I'll throw in like the the late the hypothetical late second promise territory is uh Terrence Shannon, Texas Tech freshman. Um, who I like better than Jamias Ramsey, which I know is a hot take on many. Um, or I don't know, like even better, they're very close, very comparable prospects in terms of value to me. Uh, Shannon, this six foot six, super athletic wing, um, has shown real flashes of passing and creation and team defense. Um, he's a super reluctant shooter, but his free throws are good and he was a more willing shooter pre-college. So this is it was like a developmental bet, a guy I really, really like quite a bit and a guy who I'd be stoked to get in the late second. If for some reason um, I could promise him. And another guy that like, like, like late second promise type is uh, Matthew Hurt at Duke. Uh, Matthew Hurt. Um, he was a guy who a lot, a lot of people, myself included, had as a lotto kind of guy coming out disappointed generally with his physicality but still like a really high level shooter at six foot eight pretty smart team defender would love to get him late second if i could yeah i like hurt too um like ben mentioned good good really good team defender really really good shooter with a lot of with a lot of height um like maybe a minus wingspan or like a neutral wingspan neutral about but he's a really good mover um just so skinny is the issue yeah like his frame is awful uh and always has been and definitely something i underrated coming into the year uh but i think still an interesting prospect for sure 
Uh, I'd honestly even consider him like if you get him into an NBA strength and conditioning program, he has real skills to the point where honestly, like I maybe even a, like an early to mid second if that's something that he'd come yeah. out for he can get guaranteed money I'd, I'd consider that too yeah i think so i mean especially like going back and watching like what he did in like he played adidas uh with his shoe circuit like with his team he was like like he showed much more creation ability than he showed than he was allowed yeah. to show at duke like he can he can legitimately handle the ball at a size and like mm-hmm. even in fiba too i think it was like a u18 he played with cole anthony and tires maxi he showed some ability to handle and pass in the open floor and yeah he's just really skilled so yeah so if you're an nba team that believes in your ability to improve his frame then there's no reason you shouldn't be a guy you look to promise um in like yeah. the second round or, um so anywhere in the second round really yeah without getting too much into the weeds on hurt uh one thing that was concerning at lower levels was that a lot of his success definitely is like a self-creation guy was just being bigger than people and that's a bit of a problem when you're only six nine and you're as weak um as he is uh just like how those abilities interplay is something that i think people who are high on him like myself should have thought about more um our final our final question is from at carter young 340 uh who are some one skill prospects whose one skill may be good enough to succeed in the nba his example is duncan robinson um, well, I wanted to make this point with generally, like those don't really exist. Like one skill prospects, like true one skill prospects are almost never like good enough to make it in the NBA. Like you look at a guy like Fletcher McGee, who was like the greatest shooter in college basketball for four years and like is very much not an NBA player because of all his limitations. The guy who, like the first guy, I guess, like I said, the example he gives is Duncan Robinson. So the first guy I thought of there was Aaron Neesmith who matches him. Yeah. I don't know if he's truly one skill because it's hard. Cause I mean, he can, he's not very good at anything but shooting, but he's not like totally a non like dribbler passer, but it's like, it, it's hard to find someone who's like truly one skill. I mean, you can think of that. Like, I know some people will cite Emmanuel quickly. I'm not a fan. I had um, quickly as one of my guys. Yeah. I, I had a whole category of guys who are, I their one skill was shooters. And then I have one guy who's not a shooter. Um, but finish, finish your list first. Yeah, I was gonna say quickly is um, the guy who like um, is like I'm not a big fan of, but he is undoubtedly a very good shooter, no doubt. But just like six foot three, good sh- six foot three like guard shooters who don't really dribble and can't create and are fine defensively, but are six foot three, like I said, um, are just not great. And then. Um, what was I gonna say? Um, I was gonna say this is kind of like cheating, but it's not like a skill. But I, I went like Scotty Lewis athlete, like <laughs> like it's not a skill technically. So I'm no, I, yeah, yeah. I like for Scotty Lewis even yeah. just saying. Well, I think athlete because he it when he is technically sound is such a special right. horizontal mover, but he's also like a ridiculously special vertical athlete. Yeah. Uh, I think I'll, I'll give you that one. I think that one. Yeah, good. I mean, I think it like kind of counts because he's just like very not good at anything else. I mean, yeah. the shooting projection is like okay, but like he can't yeah, dribble. I mean, he's not, he's not a total like he's a yeah. good free throw shooter. Yeah, like his mechanics, I think, are not that yeah. bad. Like I, no, I don't no. think he's a total one skill guy, but that's not yeah. a bad actually. Yeah, he's like, a really- like I said, there's no like true total one skill guys. I think Scotty's close because he's just like total total freak athlete, um, with just this. Just so debilitating. 
in terms of his dribbling and passing and his like and some of his defensive stuff. Um, I thought like Isaiah Livers as another like one skill shooter. Um, I feel like he's. He's. I think he's more versatile. I, I don't know. I, I mean, at least this year, I haven't like I haven't watched a ton of Michigan this year, but he hasn't looked very versatile on this year to me. Um, yeah, I mean, him. I didn't. Who else did you have? Because I didn't have many. Okay, my shooter category is quickly. Um, I think the glaring one you missed is Jordan Wara. Oh. Um, Spencer Jones. I think he's the least fair inclusion in the yeah. Justice. I think category. he has a little more, and because yeah. I, I think he can pass too. So yeah, he can pass enough. Like, he's a really good team like, defender. Same with Jessup. Like I thought about Jessup, but Jessup can pass. Yeah, but Jessup, Jessup's got other skills. So that that's why Spencer Jones, I think, like is actually a very good prospect. Whereas quickly and Nora, I don't like um at all. Uh, the other shoot like strict shooter guy I have is Landers Nolly, um, who is I guess like vaguely a prospect. And I, yeah, I, I I mean I didn't consider him because he's not really on my yeah. Radar. I mean not not this year. Uh, and then the guy that I'm I'm it's going to be surprising coming from me. I don't even think in my top 100, but not a shooter, and I think like pretty genuinely a one skill guy. Yeah, like well outside my top 100. Um, it's Daniel Oturu, uh, center at Michigan. Beca- oh, not Michigan at Minnesota because. I think his one skill is rebounding. Like, he is a strict <laughs> rebounding specialist, and he's going to get drafted. Daniel Oturu is going to get drafted oh and, like, yes. could conceivably be an NBA player. I have zero interest in him, um, but he's going to get drafted, like, very possibly in the first round. Um, and I think that he is truly a one-skill prospect. I think his only skill is rebounding. Yeah, it's, I mean, he can't shoot. He can't dribble. He can't pass. He's not a particularly good defender. Um, yeah. Uh, it checks out. <laughs> That's a good one. I yeah, I was, I was pretty proud of that one because I'm, like I said, not a Daniel Oturu guy, not not like someone I draft at all, but he will get drafted, like seriously, maybe in the first round. Um, and I think it's That's pretty insane. close to a true one-skill prospect. That's the, the fact that he's going to go in the first round is kind of wild. Yes, yeah, nuts. I'm all right. All right. I think that's all we've got in terms of questions. Thank you to everyone who submitted questions. This was really fun. I enjoyed this a lot. Yeah. And uh, it, it was a lot of fun. We'll definitely do it again. And honestly, since we didn't, we got a ton of questions. We didn't answer all of them. I'll, after this comes out, I'll probably on my account um, do it. Like if you submitted a question and it wasn't answered and you would really like an answer, I'll happily answer it. But yeah, in order to and prevent I will as well. So. If, yeah, it's just yeah. in order to prevent this from being a three-hour episode, yeah. we had to pick and choose questions. Um, yeah, like said, yeah they, were, they were really fun questions. I had a like this was a ton of fun to to prep for. Yeah, and like Max said, we'll definitely do more of these uh, in the future. So be on the lookout for those, and please submit questions. Again, was awesome. It was a great time. So I think we're ready to move into our catching eye section. Mm-hmm. Just guys we've been watching lately. Um, you have three guys. I have one. So I was thinking I'd do my one first. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. So my one is Davion Mitchell Baylor guard, who is my favorite Baylor prospect, um, which is I know most people would have Jared Butler as that guy. But just Davion Mitchell is just a ridiculous space creator. And like I briefly mentioned him at the beginning of this pod. I'm talking about guys who can create space off the dribble in this class. Like there's so few of them. And Davion Mitchell is one of the guys. I mean, he's just got a violent handle in terms of 
creating space off the dribble for pull-ups, getting to the basket um, with change of direction moves, getting by guys. And like, he can like legitimately pass too. I mean, his decision-making is wonderful and he throws a lot of passes that he shouldn't, but like he's, he's got some really talented passes. I mean, he's like, he's hits like live dribble skips to the corner. Um, he can hit some interior passes too. And I mean, the issues with him are just, he's six foot three and the shooting projection is really murky with him. But again, like he's also like a very high level on ball defender. Like I said, being six foot three is problematic there. Um, and then not a guy who I have in my top 60 at the moment, but like just one of my favorite prospects to watch for sure. And this like a guy with his level of space creation and his, and like the passing flashes that he shows, I think it is like very much more worth a gamble than someone like Jared Butler, who I see as like a score first kind of backup point guardy type. I, I know a lot like him quite a bit more, but. Yeah, Davion Mitchell, not a, necessarily a guy who's I draft, and probably a guy who stays in college. I think he's a sophomore, I believe. Um, I think he's a sophomore in college at this point. Yeah, he is. Um, so I think he's yeah. yeah, yeah. Transferred from, I think, like, was he an Auburn guy? Yeah, he's an Auburn guy. Uh, but yeah, Davion is super fun. Would recommend watching if you have. I'm, I'm sure you have because everyone's watched Baylor because Baylor's fun. But yeah, Davion's quite good, so. Yeah, I mean, you talk about guys who pop, and Davion Mitchell is just, like, he really pops because of the space creation stuff. Like, his change of direction and acceleration are violent. Like, he, he's going to do one of those 2K animations to someone where he, like, legitimately injures them. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't have him ranked this year. I think long-term, I might agree with the idea that he's Baylor's best prospect. I really like him. Um he should go back to school uh, and hopefully see a larger role. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, because um, I think it was a, like, do you think Butler goes? I mean, maybe? I feel like his stock never really took off in the yeah. mainstream, but I think there's a pretty good chance. Yeah, I know. I mean, there's quite a few people on Twitter that like him, at least. Yeah, there's people that are really into Butler. I, I don't like him either, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's a guy who's not back. Yeah, and if he's not, then um, – Mitchell becomes the guy yeah. um, with the ball in his hands on that team, which would be very exciting because Baylor's good this year and they'll probably be good again next year because they're going to be returning like almost all of their good players. So, yeah. Uh, okay. My guys, the first one is unconventional because I've recently been binging a lot of old Jason Tatum stuff. Uh, stay tuned. At some point, there will be something long uh, on Celtics blog, probably from me on Jason Tatum as a prospect. But I was so I was watching FIBA, I was watching AAU, and I was watching high school. And the AAU games I watched were the Peach Jam semifinal and final from, I think it's 2015. And so Tatum's uh, St. Louis Eagles team played against some stacked teams. Uh, and the second game, the final, was against the Georgia Stars, who had a front court of Wendell Carter Jr. and, and um, Yudoka Azabuki. <laughs> In the same front court, and like uh, starting alongside them were Jared Harper, Brandon Robinson, and Trent Forrest, like absurdly stacked team. Uh, but Wendell Carter Jr., my god, he was a dominant rim protector as a and this is him playing up here. So, this is Wendell Carter Jr., I think, as a 16 year old. Um, he was a dominant, dominant rim protector, really mobile, um, great verticality, very strong, very, very uh, good recognition. 
And I think it's just another testament to how useful the AAU sample is because I think Wendell really shined as a rim protector when Marvin Bagley went down for a bit at Duke and you saw how dominant he could be, but it was a little less obvious uh, playing with with Bagley in that zone. Um, But I think when you consider the context of AAU, the projection of Wendell Carter as a really, really dominant interior defender might have been more clear. And that seems to have manifested in the NBA. He seems to be a really dominant interior defender. So it's just yet another case for... AAU does matter. Um, and I mean, that's particularly relevant in this class with Cole Anthony, with Tyrese Maxey. Uh, it's just, it's a data point worth considering because it's another, it's another valuable context. Um, and then my two other guys are probably not going to come out this year, but they're both at Tennessee. Eve Pond, who we talked about earlier, I don't have really much to add. Just insane, insane athlete in every sense of the word. Uh, ridiculous vertically and can like really get up easily like he is a two-foot guy but he gets up easily and in like any context really uh absurd frame pretty ridiculous laterally like he had a lot of possessions where he was moving with kyra lewis in their in one of their games against alabama it was really really impressive um and he just plays like a scotty lewis type uh like reckless disregard for his own life like he looks like he's going to get himself and or someone else killed when he plays and it's entertaining um yeah i think he's probably a long shot to stick in the nba but he does have some physical attributes that are totally unmatched um and he's not like i mean i compared him earlier to precious achua and he's like i think a few months older than precious despite being a junior and uh, probably like farther along as a shooter. Um, not probably. I think he is farther along as Definitely. a shooter. Not, I mean, he's um, like a, a better free throw shooter by like almost 10 points. Yeah. Um, he's like takes – does he take more? I don't know. Uh, um, Precious takes, take, made, takes shots. He's at a respectable clip this year. Like he'll never be a guy that you're worried about leaving open, but he could be a guy that hits corner threes. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he hit 33s this year, uh, 35%, so like acceptable – um, and 64% from the line, which is like nothing incredible. Um, yeah. Not great or anything, but he hit a lot of long twos, which is. Yeah, I mean, and he is essentially a 6'6 big man. Uh, and like the, it, like going along with the precious comp, like the la- the disparity in height and standing reach definitely matters. But when you're talking about a guy in precious who seems like is going to go in the lottery, and Eve is a guy that you won't even have to draft. Um, that's really compelling to me if that's the archetype you're looking for of like the undersized insane person freak athlete uh center um so i like eve i think he's a real prospect i uh, really enjoy him i kind of actually selfishly want him to go back to school because that oh team next year with eve and then in the backcourt Jaden springer and keon johnson i mean it's just going to be the most absurdly athletic college team there's the strongest like freakiest, incredible college team. Um, it'd be so fun to watch. Uh, so I'm I'm fine with it either way. I like Eve if he you know comes out because a team wants to actually let him play uh, in the NBA or in the G League even better. Um, I would welcome that. But Eve returning to school for his senior year would be a ton of fun. Also, yeah, absolutely. Um, don't have much more to add on on pawns. I mean, just so much fun. Like you said, like in like in terms of value, could be like an interesting like. 
late second round promise guy if if that's even a thing i mean probably not but i mean like if you were to come out and you can get him in the late second uh versus like you said precious in the lottery and that's that's a crazy value so, yeah pawns is fun yeah and then my other guy at tennessee is john fulkerson uh who's like this six nine white guy um really impressive mover and just like very very smart defender uh unfortunately six nine and can't shoot at all like doesn't shoot um he uh he's senior age but had a redshirt year so he'll be back next year not going to be an nba guy i think pretty firmly but i he seems like he's headed to toward being a really really good european player um i'm just like actually like legitimately excited to watch him play in europe uh because he's really good he's fun and like I said, I mean, he'll be back next year, and this Tennessee team is just going to be an absolute juggernaut. Yeah, I'll say Fulkerson has shot a whopping two threes in his in, in his uh, college career, and both came this season. Yeah, I mean, he's like a respectable free throw shooter, and he shoots long twos. But yeah, I mean, until he takes threes, it's a, it's a not a great projection. But yeah, super fun, like really smart defender, like gets to the free throw line a ton. He's had like, he, his career free throw rate is like sixty or something which is kind of crazy for a guy of his athletic tools. But, I mean, he's he's super fun. Him and Pons make, like, a really good duo, too, because, like, Fulkerson can pass, and he's really smart, too. And defensively, like, that's, like, the most fun undersized front court that you'll come across. So, yeah. yeah. They're really, really good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that team, that team next year defensively is, like, it's going to be miserable uh, to play like, them. Like, imagine trying to, to get by, like, like you finally get by Jaden Springer at the point of attack. and You don't, you that's the thing that you don't get by Jaden Springer at the no, point of attack. Let's, let's say you do, and you, you have Eve Pons and John Fulkerson meeting you in the back line. That's just insane. So yeah, that's going to be mean, a, a joy of a team to watch. Oh, my God. Yeah. Eve has the most just soul-crushing blocks. Like, he, he puts up the best highlights in college yeah. basketball. They're insane. Yeah. I think it was in the Kentucky game. Um where, like, I think he had, like, six or seven blocks, maybe five mm-hmm. or six, I don't know. And, like, it, it was just every time Kentucky shot in his vicinity, it, like, the ball went the other way. I mean... Yeah, and they're, they're, that's the thing. They're not, like... He doesn't barely gets, get these shots. Like, he obliterates them. Yeah. No, like, the balls that Eve Pons blocks are going into the third row. Like, yeah. he's blocking souvenirs. So. Yeah, he, he's he's so fun. Um, awesome. All right, uh... I think are we are we ready to wrap up here? Yeah, I think that's all we've got for you guys today. Make sure you follow the pod on Twitter at Prep Number Two Pro Pod. Um, we are on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Ditcher. Make sure to rate, uh, subscribe, leave nice reviews. You can follow me on Twitter at Ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore. Follow Max at Max A Carlin. And I think that's all we've got for you. So have a good well, day. Well, before before we oh, go, let's um. Like we mentioned, we'll we'll both do the answering any like residual questions yeah. that anyone has, uh, and then also we both put top one hundred updates on Twitter. Uh, should we we could try to link those in the show description? Uh, yeah, we can do that. We should be able to do that. Um, so if you want to take a look at those, if you haven't seen them yeah. already, just to get an idea of where we are on certain guys, uh, we both are very very high on Tyrese Maxey and have him in our first tier, and got a lot of questions about that. So we're already planning to do an episode where we, you know, discuss why we Maxie. like Tyrese Maxey so much for you know an hour. Um, so th- that's that's the plan. I mean, if there are any other big questions with those, we could certainly address them. Um, yeah, and then at least for me, at some point, like I said, Jason Tatum scouting. Uh, 
that probably won't be up, I think, by our next episode, just because I am I'm going through a lot of of um Jason Tatum stuff, but uh yeah. that's on the horizon somewhere. Yeah. Quite excited for that. And if we are plugging, I'll plug. I'm gonna have at some point um a video on Leandro Bomaro. So that'll be fun. Um Yeah, with that with that in mind, we need to do a Bomaro episode. Yes. Where we we'll we'll, we'll get a I don't know, we'll find a skeptic to argue it's against fine. us. A Bomaro and Max is skeptic. I think we could find the same person. <laughs> but no, yeah. Um, yeah, that's about it. That's what's coming from us on the horizon. Again, if you have any questions at like any time, you can always hit Max and I up on Twitter. We're, we're, we're always on Twitter. Um, or just like, or, or the pod account, whatever works. So yeah, I, I think now we're actually good to wrap up. Mm-hmm. So that's all we got for you guys today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, keep listening. And have a nice day. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.